Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Love Nature Global General Manager Carlin Stout about the Blue Ant Media-owned natural history platform's growing interest in AVOD and commissioning strategy for the year ahead. And Jin Woo Hwang, founder of South Korean format specialist Something Special, about the market's untapped potential. Carlin Stout is Global General Manager of Blue Ant Media-owned Love Nature, a Canadian natural history channel which has branched out across the world via a variety of platforms and partnerships. She spoke to Clive Whittingham about her growing interest in AVOD, her commissioning strategy for 2021, intensifying competition among factual focus streamers and the channel's new management structure following a series of recent promotions. I'm Carlin Stout, a Global General Manager of Love Nature. I started with Blue Ant Media about three and a half years ago and have been working on Love Nature and growing it to where it is to date and excited to take the helm of general manager uh, about six months ago. So talk a little bit about how the role of general manager differs from uh, what you were doing there before. Sure. So before I was EVP of programming and development, really concentrating on uh, freshening and elevating our commissioning strategy and very much more an editorial and programming role. And then about six months ago, I took on this role of general manager, which had to do with also increasing the distribution of Love Nature and managing all the facets of the business from marketing to communications to distribution to programming still, and of course, still helming the commissioning team, but it's a, a more holistic job across the business. I'll come on to commissioning uh, in a bit, because that's, uh, that's often where our audience really, uh, really tunes in. Talk to me a little bit about um, the channel's overall strategy for, for this year, global rollouts and launches on AVOD, things like that. What direction is the, is the channel heading in? Sure. Well, I, I mean, we've just had explosive growth over the past three years. I mean, as you know, we started as a linear pay TV channel in Canada. Then about five years ago, we entered the global SVOD arena. And where we are currently is really a multi-platform approach, territory by territory. So we're on a multitude of different types of platforms. We're currently reaching about 300 million households globally in about 135 countries. We have offices, obviously we're headquartered in Toronto, but we have the commissioning office where I am in Washington, D.C. And then we have offices that are working with the brand distribution in Los Angeles, London, and Singapore. So we're really a global operation now. Uh, and when I would say that, you know, we have a territory by territory strategy in a multi-platform way, what I mean by that is that in some territories, we still are a pay TV linear channel. Like in the Netherlands, we're about 80% distributed or in Vodafone Zigo and KPM. And uh, we also play with uh, branded blocks on terrestrial channels like TV Cultura, which is a free to air in Brazil. We have a block on Yuku on, uh, in China, which is a, an SVOD. We are entering the fast and AVOD space in the U.S., which is super exciting and really leaning into that. 
we're flexible, creative, and agile in our deal making. And I think that has really allowed us to look territory by territory about where the opportunity lays and maximize on that. Let's dig into to AVOD because obviously I get to see behind the scenes what gets clicks at C21 and what doesn't. And I, whenever we write about AVOD Minute, it's getting super, super clicks off our newsfeed. It feels like a really buzzy area. But then when I turn my television on, there's just all these sort of channels at the bottom of my smart TV that I maybe go there very seldom it's a sort of a mysterious area can you talk to uh, talk to your AVOD strategy and what you found uh, is working for you sure it was a strategy that we started to lean into about 12 months ago and it's really booming in the United States but we're seeing it obviously grow internationally as well and we made a strategic decision to lean into it and and there's really two there's AVOD and fast channel expansion and the way that I describe both of them AVOD is really a lean forward experience where you're making the choice as a viewer. And then the FAST channel, which stands for free advertising streaming TV, is really a lean back experience where you're being programmed to much like a linear environment. So there's those two spaces to really play into. Uh, And we launched in the US on the Roku channel, on Zumo, on Pluto TV. Uh, More recently, we launched on Samsung TV Plus and on Tubi. And we've got a slew of new launches to come in the next month or two. Prende TV, which is a Spanish language service in the U.S., just uh, announced the launch yesterday, I believe. So um, it's, it's a great space because it's an accessible format. It's free. So you're really reaching a very broad audience and sometimes an audience who might not have sap- sampled natural history before, but because they're coming to it free on their TV, they're more likely to dip in and if they like it, really engage with it. And the great growth that we've seen in the U.S. has been tremendous. I mean, on the Roku channel alone, our monthly viewership is 13 times what it was eight months ago. And on a quarter by quarter basis, we're up 40% as of the end of December. And in January, we had alone our best month. We were up 80% from start from where we were. So we're seeing growth on these platforms really take off in the United States. And I believe that's only a precursor sort of what's going to happen internationally. So it's a space that we're really leaning into. You sort of preempted my next question. It's not going to be just a, a US strategy. You see that uh, as, a, as an international play. Absolutely. I mean, you see OTT players across the board, maybe starting in the US, but then gaining traction internationally. So we're in talks with Pluto TV about expansion. We're in talks with Samsung TV Plus. I would say that, you know, also we're leaning into um, Amazon and their SVOD services in an OTT. TT way internationally. So it's definitely coming outside of, of the US. Yeah. And it, easy, not easy, but it pays. You can monetize it on the, on those platforms. Absolutely. That growth is definitely being some platforms better than others, I'll be honest with you, but certainly we've seen very strong monetization on the on those platforms. It could be that the, the pandemic accelerated that as people are looking for options to view, but I don't think that that's going to go away post-pandemic either. Is this um, is it is it a more accessible way of competing? Obviously, like you said, Love Nature has a history of being in SVOD, but SVOD's kind of gone crazy 
and Discovery Plus obviously is a, is a big factual launch in that space. Is is AVOD a, an easier way to to go to get out of that that really competitive SVOD market, or is it is it a complementary play? I, I don't think it's an easier play, but it's certainly a complementary play. I think we've seen certainly a lot of big brands pull their content back and put it behind these kind of walled gardens, and as I call them, in the SVOD space. And that is certainly one strategy. I think for us, like I mentioned, our flexibility and our being agile uh, allows us to play in all types of arenas instead of just one, like some brands are. So I think it gives us a real market advantage in a lot of different ways. I've written a lot about national history just recently. Firstly, with regards to COVID, have you found that it's the perfect genre because you film in isolated locations with small crews, or has it been a bit of a nightmare because obviously it involves a lot of international travel? I think a bit of both. Uh, I think if you look across the slate, trying to diversify it into maybe single location shoots where you really embed a small crew and allow them to be there for long periods of time, that's when you can really capitalize and, and, and isolate yourself from the craziness of the pandemic. But if you're doing a multi-location shoot across the globe uh, and flying crews in and out, that's where it gets complicated. So just making sure that your programming slate is diversified enough and has different types of productions has really helped us kind of weather that storm. Did you have a lot of stuff go on hold? We had a couple projects. Yeah, absolutely. We had a couple projects uh, that were disrupted by COVID for sure, as as everybody has. We were just about to shoot on a project in South Africa when the the variant kind of reared its ugly head in that in that sense, where South Africa had kind of been stable for a while. So it's those moments where you really have to think on your feet, shuffle things around. I was talking to a colleague of mine. I mean, the production management staffs at some of these production companies really deserve so much credit during COVID. They've really hustled and, and made a huge difference in, in helping companies survive. How much extra is it costing, you know, things like PPE and maybe it's taking longer to film with a smaller crew and things like that? Are you finding that there's all these extra COVID expenses on budgets now? Sure. I don't think it's gotten out of control, but inevitably, because you're dealing with the unknown, there's going to be a little bit of a cost premium. I mean, we had a a crew coming back from Africa that were uh, in the UK and had to hold up in a hotel, right? And isolate for two two weeks. That wasn't in the budget. So trying to figure out kind of how to scramble and cover some of those costs as well as the PPE prevention in the field. The other thing I wondered about natural history is it is very buzzy genre at the moment. Obviously, uh, Netflix and the streamers have looked at their algorithms and seen what you guys have known for a long time is that it's very popular genre with a very broad demographic and they're commissioning a lot of it and they're chucking a lot of money at it and I mentioned Discovery Plus launching again so it's very competitive how do you go about standing out an increasingly competitive natural history genre that used to basically be the doyen of public broadcasters yeah absolutely I find that it's timely and competitive I I find that really exciting in some ways because it makes you stretch as a commissioner and when you're thinking about the editorial and how you're going to keep it fresh. I would say that we're open to storytelling that's less, I would say, trend. 
traditional uh, with survey films and kind of standard um, uh, storytelling styles. One of the shows that we recently did, A Bee's Diary, was the dramatization of a bee's life, where the bee was talking to you about its life in first person. And it was kind of switching up that storytelling uh, aspect to it that kept it fresh and really connected with audiences in a new way. You learned about a bee's life in a completely new way. So having fun like that, I find, and keeping the genre fresh with new ways of telling stories is super important. Stories that are timely and relevant are capturing audiences. So we we just did a, a special called After the Wildfires that uh, Northern Pictures produced for us out of Sydney. And it, it told the story of the wildfires that ravaged Australia about a year ago and, and focused on the animal stories of survival and the people that were helping them. And it was really hopeful and uplifting at the end because you saw the resiliency of nature. And I, I see those types of stories that have kind of that hopeful feeling at the end really resonating with audiences as well. We're following science and where science is pushing into. And right now, there's so much of science being kind of looked at with animal emotions. And what does it mean? Does, do animals have emotions? The psychology of animal emotions. And we find that very fresh and engaging, kind of helping humans see the similarities between themselves. And so a series we did, um, uh, Wild Tales from the Farm certainly looked at farm animals in a totally different way. Their friendships, their courtships, their rivalries, their feelings and motivations behind, behind their actions. And, and, and that was engaging and fun and lighthearted. So we're just, we're mixing it up and looking at new ways of, of telling stories. When producers are pitching you at the moment, has it affected the geography of your projects and, and the ambition of your projects, the whole pandemic thing? you sort of more reluctant to commit to something that's a longer period of filming and also uh, with, with more travel? Are you looking for sort of thinking sort of smaller and more domestic or are you just trying to, to commission what you were commissioning before? Yeah, I, I don't think it's really affected our commissioning strategy in that way. I mean, the great thing for us with natural history is because you are so far out that it really affords you time to kind of think past the pandemic and when we're getting back into to normal life. I mean, we're commissioning in some cases three, four years out uh, for very specific projects. So um, I don't think it's it's limited our, our capability at all. I would say one area that we're really leaning into and that producers should kind of keep top of mind in the natural history space is that we want to go with experienced natural history producers who know how to shoot, but we love it when they bring in new talent. So a new series producer, a new writer, a new editor who might be fresh to the natural history genre, but they bring that cross genre sensibility, maybe from drama, maybe from factual entertainment, maybe from science. But it's that that kind of mix of, you know, those who know how to do natural history and those who are new to the genre. And I find working with production companies that are doing that really, really interesting. And I would say, you know, production companies that are working with the cutting edge technology out there, whether it be capturing new ways of capturing animal behavior, showing shots in new perspective, and really bringing a visual wow to the projects uh, is also something that we're looking for. If I'm a producer that hasn't worked in the genre before, should I come with my idea to you anyway and you can hook me up with somebody else? Or should I try and hook up with an experienced producer and then come to you? You can do it either way. And we've, we've seen it work either way. 
Uh, if, if you know a natural history production company that you're comfortable with, certainly partnering with someone you already know is helpful. But we also, you know, know the best and the brightest out there as various different production companies, and we can help make that match. But that's a little bit of an arranged marriage and can kind of work sometimes and not work sometimes. But we always give a variety of people that we think might be a, a good fit. With the with the global rollout that we've already talked about on, on various uh, platforms and things like that, does this mean you're want to where you can do 100% commission and, and own all the rights or are you a potential co-production partner is is it a mixed ecology for you guys as a producer coming and what sort of rights am I going to be able to hang on to and what sort of co-productions are you able to, to get involved with yeah it's it's really a mix and it's very project by project basis based on the budget based on the co-production partners that might already be aligned with the project uh, we really try to work with producers and structuring a deal that kind of we all get the the best of what we need. Um, so I would say it's flexible and, and versatile. I don't have one model that I, that I work towards. Are you leaning more towards, just anecdotally, we're hearing a lot about co-productions at the moment, um, just because budgets are going to be challenged in the economy. Are, is that more part of your strategy, leaning more that way at the moment, or is it has it not come to that? No, I would say, if anything, we're continuing to do co-production. We were actually doing co-production before the pandemic hit, and we're still doing co-production. Natural history is an expensive genre. It takes a lot of money to make these films good and so to realize the ambition of the budgets uh, we we often have co-production and partners involved we're always looking for partners that are like-minded to us so that we can kind of pull our funding together and realize projects again advice for producers stuff you're not in the market for stuff you you feel like you've done or stuff that you would never do i would say you know one thing that i i, I don't usually like to say what we're not doing but one thing i do often say is we really don't do domesticated animals or pets and vets type of programming. There's a lot of other broadcasters that really do that well. We are in the wildlife space, in the nature space. And so don't bring me a, a pet and vet proposal because we're probably not going to do it. I would also say I'm really anxious to get out of the Bristol usual and start to work with some companies out of continental Europe more, out of Asia, out of the U.S. There's a lot of exciting companies that are beginning to dabble in natural history and then out of Asia. So really, I think we did a great job about three years ago about diversifying the producers we were working with more. Or I would also like to diversify just outside of, of the UK and, and look in other places as well. And uh, we mentioned right at the top that uh, the structure has changed slightly and you've, you've moved up and there's been appointments underneath you. Should people be pitching? Who should they be pitching and, and how? Really? Sure. No, that's a good question. So Alison Barrett uh, was promoted about six months ago when I moved to general manager and Alison really runs the commissioning pipeline now. And so pitching Alison is the right way to go. Uh, you can log on to lovenature.com and it will detail kind of ways to pitch uh, and the portal that we use and that Allison uses to, to keep track of proposals. Um, but she's the, the main point of contact for producers moving forward. Carlin Stout from Love Nature speaking with Clive Whittingham. Jin Wu Huang launched what's billed as South Korea's first TV format agency focused on creative talent, content development, production and distribution for the global market in late 2019. In less than two years, Seoul-based Something Special has signed deals with the UK's ITV Studios and Viacom CBS Networks International. 
Huang spoke to Ruth Laws about the business, what it has to offer the international formats industry and why, beyond the success of The Masked Singer, the South Korean market still has plenty of untapped potential. Tell me about something special and why you decided to launch it last year. Um, let me start with the 2019 situation. So um, 2019 was a very interesting year for Korean creativity or Korean content. First of all, Netflix was expanding its influence to the local market, which has been thought to be like um, impregnability to foreign players. And of course, uh, Mass Singer was becoming uh, the next big thing for international market and Korean productions storytelling, formats, music was becoming much more globally aware. Um, because of these, there had been so much inquiries to me or my partner in soon for both local and international market. And we believe that this is the moment, this is the kind of the perfect time for the next step to show what we really can do best. So that's why something special was set up. And that's how we um, left our old companies. So basically something special is Korea's first ever TV format specialized creativity-led global content development production and distribution company. So what we are trying to do is we connect Korean creative talents with international partners in order to create original content. And can you tell me a little bit about some of the deals that you've done? So for example, you've got the, the deal that's been announced with um, Viacom and then also ITV Studios. How do they work and what do you hope they will achieve? Well, I see... I ITV Studios has always been a fantastic partner of mine for many years. I was their counterpart while I was back in CJENM. And after we um, set up, we first discussed about um, co-development and co-creation of a new formats. Together, we developed four new formats. So the formats itself was varied from cooking shows, game shows, and even dating. But what we focused on was completely funny and differentiated. So what we've been focused uh, with our recent deals and past deals was because um, something special represents Korean independent production companies or um, top tier producers, mostly independent in Korea. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring their ideas into working with the international partners. So for example, the Korea is not very in trend with the game shows, but there are um, super talents that who have thousands of ideas about these mechanism or game show ideas or these little gimmicks that is needed for um, game show formats. But unfortunately, he or she does not has that much opportunity to present their ideas to the Korean television, but with um, the partnership with international players. So we thought that this is a kind of a much more better opportunity to have these wonderful creative minds to actually work what is work with international partners, what would be really fit and best for um, international market. And did you have any reservations about sort of launching a business amid a pandemic? Or do you think that perhaps format is one area of the TV industry that's probably been least affected by the by the emerging coronavirus pandemic? Honestly speaking, <laughs> I, I, I do miss 
um, all these markets and meetings. I used to be very tired of it, but nowadays I really miss it. It has been very sad and difficult time for everyone. And I think even for the performance market. So because it, it's sad when you miss all the sales pitches, flying consultancies or deal announcements, or even co-productions, they're all being limited. And while we were doing a co-development with ITV Studios, what we really missed was um, when I was back in CJ, we used to go back and forth to each other's countries and we do a week of like workshop with British producers or we do a workshop with the Korean producers in the past. Those things are all disappeared. It's just a small amount of people work more on the documents and we share the documents prior by email and then we discuss all over the, the video call. It's still pretty much the same, but because um, the creativity, it always works in a more collaborative way and somehow we miss all these actions. But again, what pandemic affected us was I think it's for the developments. And this is one of the reasons why um, something special has focused all our resources on development last year. Because um, especially when it when times like pandemic, um, the creativity is one kind of area that cannot be withdrawn at all times. I just wondered, are there any particular genres of formats that you are developing and why that's the case? I think we are actually developing almost every genre. Um, However, for Korean formats, um, Korean entertainment is still very celebrity driven. But the interesting thing is Korean celebrity entertainment requires a huge um, authenticity. Speaking of authenticity, uh, it actually looks very much like westernized. Uh, reality or entertainment shows with ordinary people. So I think this is the kind of a golden spot, um, golden point that we highly value in the Korean format. And this is exactly the part that we are working in, not only bringing international formats, but also selling our own to the world. And the new development includes because mostly it's a celebrity entertainment, but it's actually more kind of a valuable ideas that for um, not only just to work in Korea, but also to the international um, markets. And what would you say a classic Korean format is? Nowadays, the celebrity competition goes into almost every field. Even there is a Korean um, primetime show that deal about celebrities actually learn about the stock market and they get a small amount of money and they actually uh, invest on buying stocks and after like two three weeks they compare each other that who made more money out of the stock exchanges and the winner actually donates their profit to um, the, as a charity so it was a very interesting kind of an approach to see how much celebrity can do what do you think the effect we have touched upon this a little bit but what do you think the effect mm. of the pandemic has been on the formats market do you think there's been more of an appetite for buying and selling formats or that much like other industries it's been adversely affected by the pandemic. I, I think it actually will drive more kind of acquisition for format still because nowadays, even recently, I've been keep hearing from the buyers that they are looking for a new format that would actually work at post-pandemic era. And what's really interesting is buyers are actually looking for a very similar subject. Like, for example, they all ask for big scale shows or 
whether rather it's uh, whether it's very quick, quickly transferable. Some says it's a, a quick turnaround format, and of course, everyone's looking for kind of a play along type of entertainment show and also family viewing entertainment. So I guess because of all of the buyers' agendas are be- becoming very much similar, and they are all looking for very fast, productible formats. I think now it comes on the matter of how much prepared or how much original and potential the idea is. So I guess um, I do hope that the MIPCOM would actually held in its place, but I really am anticipating to see what kind of ideas would actually come into one single market. So we can start comparing each other's ideas and, and see which is better or which, which has the potential and which can become a new head. Yeah. What kind of ideas have you had in the past year? Are there, are there any you can tell me about? Well, I cannot reveal the new formats with the ITV, <laughs> ITV studio deal. But what I can see, it has a completely different, very uh, comedic twists into every um, format. And what's interesting is it's a very, um, it's, a for, it's an idea that, that you are very used to, but how they approach it is really funny. So I think that is a kind of a thing that we will, we will like to present in the near future. And one of the formats that we recently been optioned by Banerjee from was actually a kind of a health factual entertainment show. The format is called Miracle Habits. And basically what the show does is the show focuses on the daily life of a celebrity from morning they wake up from the bed and the moment they go to sleep. And And what the show does is you have the group of medical experts. They actually examine and watch the celebrities' daily habit. And what they do is they pinpoint out what kind of bad habits or good habits that the celebrities need to change. And this actually provides uh, very useful, healthy tips during even during the pandemic time or even after the pandemic. So this was a kind of a show that was very successfully hit in Korea. And I think it will give a kind of a new approach to the um, international market. And if I would point another format that we recently been selling is it's it's not our our own creation. But what I want to say is a lot of Korean formats are not still being discovered yet. We all know that the mass Singer is actually revealed in the market five years ago. And then it became successful after it was um, it was actually released in the in the in the market so there are a lot of Korean shows Korean formats that has not been revealed to the international buyers or um, companies yet and it's our job to bring these Korean ideas to be revealed with much more international perspective so I think I'm opening this for the first time. Korean broadcasters, they have never allowed a third party to actually distribute and export their um, IPs. And something special um, early this month, uh, this year, um, something special signed a format um, distribution deal with KBS, which is a Korean broadcasting system. They're a public broadcaster in Korea. And we uh, are going to release some of their formats 
which is actually one of the most longest running hit in, in KBS for more than 15 years. And this is actually the very first time for everyone in Korea because normally Korean broadcasters never allow their own IPs to be sold by third party. But we think this is a kind of a great opportunity to show what something special can do. You did touch upon The Masked Singer, which is obviously one of the biggest hits from South Korea in recent years. What, what do you think the secret is? Why do you think Korean formats have been so successful? I think Korea has been by far one of the most creatively competitive markets in the world. I can really guarantee on that point because almost every year there are up to 300 new shows been developed and disappear in every single year. So only two to five percent of these new ideas are able to survive and go into production. So the whole um, market has been very competitive, especially on the creativity side. And again, that is why there are so many ideas and formats that has not been discovered yet. So I think that is the secret behind The mass Singer. And I think that kind of a way that we try to focus in the future. I just wondered if there are any emerging territories that you're selling into. You notice there's a particularly new country somewhere that seems to be snapping up format. Actually, um, one of the key tasks that something special promised to our local partners was the ideas now can travel to anywhere. So at the moment, our focus is on sales is actually in Western territories like US and Europe. Well, Asia Asia has always been our key territories, but for, for the new players like Something Special, what was important for us was we were trying to show um, our partners that all these new creativity or all these new ideas can actually um, travel faster and further. And it is definitely working and we are actually successful in proving that to our partners. What we are actually focusing a lot is we are trying to um, prove that to our, our partners that China is not the only place for the Korean format. And it is very important to expand the sales and uh, its trans, uh, transferability to a lot of ter different territory. Because we all know that at 2016, when we had a Chinese ban over uh, Korean content, there was so much collateral damage because due to a political issue, but it was actually the cultural and content side which affected a lot. And as a producer and business person who works on making Korean con contents to um, fly outside of Korea, my job is to make the Korean contents to actually travel further. And I do not believe that the idea has to be ethnically connected or similarity because, you know, all great ideas can actually uh, work well. Jin Wu Huang from Something Special, speaking with Ruth Laws. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. Listener.